to X Garage, where we dive into the world of worldviews using the Christian worldview. Today, we got a special treat for you. We are diving into the uh, worldview of Arminius, is it? Yeah, I guess we cool. can call it that. Yeah. You know? um, so, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, welcome to X Garage. Welcome. Yeah. Ethan's sitting here, too. That's interesting. Yeah, here. got, got Heath and Ethan. Everyone's here all together. Uh, and we're just all loving life. We're gonna do Li- some Arminius. Yeah, w- uh, living living life to the fullest. Living. What's, <laughs> what's that? What's that? Joel Steam phrase. Oh, best life now. Best life now. We're living yeah. our best make, life. Make, now. And, and and then later it came out with a uh, make every day a Friday or something like that. <laughs> every day is a Friday. <laughs> every day is a Friday, baby. A good one. I, <laughs> I used. It, I actually used his book uh, during my undergrad at Moody. Like, you guys probably had a similar course when you were there. Um, it, were, it was like a exegetical class, and uh, I used his book to show examples of um, various fallacies in biblical interpretation. I used his "Every Day Is a Friday" book. Nice. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh I, too many, too many passages that were. It made it too easy. So anyway, <laughs> if anyone needs a book to look at poor ex- exegetical examples, then you've got a friend with Osteen. Perfect. Um, cool. Well, let's well, let's so, get into uh, Ar- Arminius, man. Yeah. Um, so what I think we can do is, so I'll I'll, I'll head off this this conversation today, and then um, as I'm sharing and talking, I don't have an outline. I didn't write anything else. So this is going to kind of be very conversational in the way I go about it. And at any point, you guys just feel free to jump in there if you have a thought that arises, and, and we'll just let the conversation go. Um, if I just keep talking and there's no space for you to cut in, um, you can either just let me keep going or, or still cut me off. Sounds uh, good. Okay. So I think, I think we'll just title this one. Is Jacob Arminius a Pelagian or a semi-Pelagian? Or is he, um, a, or no, well, yeah, those can go hand in hand for some people, but is he a semi-Agostinian or a semi-Pelagian is technically what I meant. Um, so there's a debate on whether or not uh, Arminius and Arminian theologians throughout the history and you know, Arminianism today should be given the title, the general uh, um, category of semi-Pelagian or semi-Augustinian. So I, I just like oh, that'd be fun to unpack and think about. Um, Pelagius is a, a major church history figure at the time of Augustine. And to be called a Pelagian is no good. Uh, with for anyone within Christi- Christianity and Christian thought that's biblical or even semi-biblical, to be called a Pelagian qua Pelagian is not good. Cool. So, so let's talk about Pelagian for a second. What what was his big problem? Yeah. So he was a. Uh, <laughs> I like you're laughing at Pelagius right now. What's um, this guy's problem? Yeah. yeah, so Pelagius, he's he's around the same time as Augustine. Um, he kind of fell off the scene out of nowhere, though, uh, around 418 um, AD. Um, but he, he uh, yeah, from 390 to about 418, he was a, a, a guy in the, uh, in the world, a British, uh, with a British background or Irish something. He was, uh, um, I think, Gaul. 
is another term for the areas in which they think he proceeded from. But he just was a guy that showed up on the scene in Rome and he was really big into asceticism, but within Christianity in the sense that he was a moral practitioner. He wanted to see people living out uh, uh, what he would consider a sanctified life. And, uh, and, and there was a lot of moral laxity in Rome and in the, the, the church at that time, which was all of Rome, uh, you know, at that point, we're talking post-Constantine. So, um, and, and, and Augustine was one of the major key bishops and he was in Hippo, um, uh, North Africa. Um, and, and so, but, but the thing with, with Pelagius, and just getting to the point of what the issue was with him, <laughs> the problems and why no one wants that label. Uh, is technically he was what, what you might call the or, uh, uh, the the whole clean slate idea that came out way later is just really kind of go all the way back to Pelagius where the idea is uh, humanity is not actually corrupt. Uh, Adam, when he transgressed God's law in Eden, the command do, do not eat. Um, he Adam only affected his, his own life and Eve, and they essentially serve as bad examples. Um, and so uh, for Pelagius then, you, you don't have any original sin, no sin nature, but you do have the ability to, to sin, just like Adam. And so um, this of course runs contra to all of the, the Old Testament and New Testament together. So that's that in the first place is one reason why no one wants to be called a Pelagian if you're calling yourself a Christian at the same time. And, and so that's not really a title you want. And so that with that, um, uh, you don't, you also wouldn't want to really be identified as a semi-Pelagian either, because that kind of almost sounds like you're semi-terrible uh, in, in, in your theological interpretation. Uh, but going back to Pelagius, in terms of grace, this is really where it gets kind of more down to the, the matter. Um, he 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 really didn't like Augustine's view of grace because, and that was what was becoming more uh, taking hold in the church and, and at that time in the teachings of the church. And he identified, or so the story goes, that he identified the moral laxity with Augustine's high view of grace. That the the church was actually teaching this lord um uh you know command what you will but um give me uh, uh, um what's that quote uh, basically enable me to do what you command uh in other words there's nothing in me that can do what you command but uh go ahead and command it just just enable me and so that was said to be it's there's no real historical strong historical evidence that, that was the key passage of augustine that's triggered pelagius to say, you know, this this whole doctrine of grace, this unconditional, irresistible grace, which th that term was not used then, but that's essentially what it was. It's Augustine's the root of the doctrine of irresistible grace. That um, that that bugged him, and so he ran around Rome teaching. <laughs> that's not true, you know. He he became known, and he was a good rhetoric. His rhetoric was strong. He knew Greek. He knew Latin. He was he was well equipped theologically, so he was influential. Augustine knew him. In fact, Augustine uh, talked of him as a brother in the Lord uh, up until later as things started to escalate. Um, Augustine started really, and people started to really see a Pelagius as true doctrines and colors over time. Of course, it's, that's how debates go. You kind of finally get at the kernel of the issue. And um, what they started to notice is, well, well, well Pelagius is against the, the 
Augustine's view of total depravity, this depravity in Adam that, that we can't change unless God does some, gives us a grace, a special grace to uh, free us of that pollution and that brokenness in Adam. We will never respond to what is right and good and just and beautiful in the gospel, essentially. But Pelagius said, well, that just is mechanical. That can't work. Um, it, de- it, de- it, it destroys human responsibility. So he's really the early, one of the early key guys that was really um, uh, um, not able to make sense of Augustine's doctrine of grace uh, in light of his concerns for human responsibility. And um, so what he did was he, 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 he wanted to talk about grace in a different way. He just talked about grace as, as we in reform circles would call, call common grace. Um, uh, for Pelagius everything essentially is common grace and that that is the basis that 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 was his grace that we all have and so nature is grace right Uh, God's law is grace um, that tells us which way to go which how how we should live Um, and so there was no need for special grace Um, and so when Pelagius talks about grace it's actually uh, what we would call just common grace that God gives us because he's not going to judge us and take us out of this, take us out, which we deserve to be judged in Adam, but God's gracious to keep us going. Well, for Pelagius, it's, 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 there is no ultimate judgment in Adam and all, you know, Andy, it's just, we're all given the same faculties as Adam, and that is grace, and so now we need to apply that grace and live, and so that became that early confusion, and well, Pelagius sounds like he's all about grace, you know, he's talking about even virtues and in, in the law and all these things is just working on a grace, but it became clear that, oh, he doesn't have a doctrine of the fall. Oh, he doesn't even, um, what's the point of the cross at this point? So it just, that for Augustine became the major question was, if we're all saved in Christ, uh, under Pelagius' view of the fall, there is no fall, there's no view of salvation in Christ. So you, ru- you ruin the integrity of all of the biblical, all of the Bible. Um, so that was, that. I'd say that's the the issue with Pelagius is he had no historic uh, actual fall in Adam that corrupted the whole of humanity that Adam forfeited for Augustine is very clear in his theology that we'd for, forfeited um, our original justice or original righteousness as another thing you'll see in theological books that we had in Adam was he, he was actually created in rectitude before God. He was living upright and in, 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 the, in the way in which God created him to be. Uh, uh, before God, and in that tr- one transgression, sin entered. In other words, sin was not present in terms of our activity in our in our hearts until uh, this through the serpent's insights in Eden, uh, we uh, in Adam uh, forfeited that original upright heart, and at that point, the judgment was sin. So, technically, that first sin entered our lives into a state of sin. And that was what was called original sin. So original sin is not necessarily the first sin of Adam, but what what resulted out of that first sin, which was the the condition of uh, an original status of sin, and which is biblically just termed you know sin nature or uh, uh, being blind, dead, uh, transgressors, sinners, etc. All this language that would would support that doctrine of original sin. Um, for all of humanity, we're all lost, all seek their own way, etc. Um, so that 
And so therefore, Arminians are bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that that goes back to, so going to, um, I guess, before we get to Arminians, it's probably uh, good to talk about really quickly what happened with Pelagius and the movement of the early church at that time, because what happened is it doesn't just go straight into Arminius, obviously. I mean, Arminius pretty late down the road. Uh, he's um, post-Calvin himself, post-Luther, Reformation already happened, and he's kind of one of the early figures uh, just after the early Reformation. And um, actually just the subsequent generation of Calvin, it would be about where Arminius is. Uh, so he was actually almost directly influenced by Calvin and other reformers. Um, uh, he was directly influenced by Theodore Beza, which was Calvin's, the guy that came up after Calvin in Geneva, took over Calvin's post and his influence there. But what I think it's important, so at the council, I actually took a note of this because I'm, <laughs> I'm all about the theology. I always forget about the history and the creeds and all that. I mean, the uh, councils. But in, so it was in 1418 at the Council of Carthage that his teachings were actually formally, so Pelagius' teachings were condemned. Augustine wanted Pelagius to be condemned along with those teachings or ex- declared uh, heretical. That didn't happen then. And that wasn't an actual formal council. That was Augustine and some other, a few other bishops, but it wasn't considered uh, uh, an actual formal um, council. It'd be more like a synod or something. I don't know. Uh, maybe those terms are exchangeable, actually. <laughs> Again, that church history stuff's not my my buff. But um but it was in the first council of Ephesus in 431. So this is after even Pelagius is no longer on the scene. We don't even know what happened to him. Maybe he was mar- killed, martyred. <laughs> for, for the UUs, he was martyred. Um, uh, oh, right. for the, <laughs> he's the Unitarian Universalist mar- martyr. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. They would see him as a martyr. We wouldn't see that. We would see he was... I mean, he shouldn't have been, if, if it did happen, that he was killed or, or killed for his faith <laughs> you, by you others. So, that was wrong. You don't believe in, uh, in original sin? I'll show you. <laughs> <laughs> Bang! <laughs> exactly. Like, okay, that's, that's, that'd be a bit much. And, and, and there's, no, there's no evidence that that ever happened. He just disappeared. And, and so some would say he just, he knew like, wow, he's, he's not winning here. And he can't stick around these main cities anymore because everyone knows he's the heretic. Um, so, or his teachings were condemned at that point. Um, and then, so later they actually condemned, he called him a heretic at the council of Ephesus. Um, so, but what was interesting, I think it was the council of orange. Um, but yeah, 529, um, I'm thinking is when there was more of a, Yes. Okay. So the council of, uh, just after the, he was declared a heretic in 431 is about around this time, even, even probably before, just before that semi-Pelagianism came on the scene. So this is actually something before Arminius. That's why I thought this was a good point to bring up. Um, the label didn't, the label wasn't existent at that time that the semi-Pelagian didn't come out until around the 17th century. Um, but the idea was there, um, that these were Pelagians, that were of another breed, uh, and they 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 actually held to yeah okay we're there is a fall, 
all are depraved. We're not gonna we're not gonna hold to those condemned teachings of Pelagius, but we still want to say something about moral responsibility that we don't feel like Augustine's doctrine allows. Um, that that if if grace enables our will, then in what sense are we? Because for Augustine's doctrine, Augustine had grace enabling the will in such a way that you do respond in faith and love and charity. Um, uh, and so there was no resistible nature to that. Again, going to the Calvinism, which takes up these doctrines completely and, 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 and rightly. I think they have the right interpretation of Augustine. Um, so there was these who came along and said, um, well, okay, we don't want to be a different Pelagius. We do see the merits of Augustine, but we also want to keep Pelagius's uh, um, sensitivity on moral responsibility. So what they did was say, okay, we're depraved, yes, or we have some pollution, all of us in Adam are polluted, sinfully polluted. And, but when it, we're not so polluted to the extent to which we can't in that initial part of us, our initial phase of redemption, uh, in that initial point, we say yes to the gospel. And at which point that we do receive the gospel, God then enables us to grow qualitatively in that initial faith that came from us in our fallen condition. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So a little bit different, but then it still begs the question of, well, is this, this is human merit, right? At, at the end of the day, even in your depraved state, your salvation is ultimately dependent, is, is conditioned on you even before grace so that is why uh, i think this is where you you can actually say semi-pelagian is a really good term to be used because they're not going to admit that grace other than grace in nature you know which again that's not even in the question everyone knows that god creating us is a gracious act in terms of like god's kindness and goodness and his self-giving etc but mm -hmm. In terms of a saving grace, that's not nature is not a saving grace um, in in the in the proper sense of biblical soteriology salvation. Um, so uh, we fell, and then now we have categories of grace that redeem us out of our fallenness. So they just they didn't have they the semi Pelagians didn't have that. They they uh, put grace after the initial point of willing for the gospel, and and and, and still in such a way that, uh, of course, it's resistible. So um, with that said, Council of Orange comes up in 529. And this one deals with getting rid of this semi-Pelagian stuff and saying, okay, this teaching. So, so basically Pelagius's influence impacted a lot, a lot of history. And, uh, and, not, and not just him, it was really the tension over how does moral responsibility play into our depravity and the the unconditional nature of redemption it's typically it's we're saved by grace alone uh you know ephesians 2 is just you know i don't want to go into exegetical stuff we can talk about that actually in our higher next episode more more getting into the nuances of scripture but yeah the council of orange uh, just got 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 rid of the, the condemned or condemned i guess i don't know terminology to be used they, they basically just worded rightly how the church should speak to um, these, 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 this new teaching, which they just basically came up with um, a real generic 
um, statement that can tend to support where you see Catholicism today and or Arminianism, which is that, um, again, they're, they're, they're interpreting within the Augustinian lines of original sin, uh, original, original righteousness, original sin, uh, God's grace coming first to enable the will. And in this, this council of orange, they didn't necessarily say that you, um, they did the emphasis, and, and I have to go back and read it, and I could be wrong here, so, but the emphasis was just on that, that God enables the will by the Spirit, such that you can genuinely receive the gospel, but they didn't really get into questions behind all that, whether this was uh, res uh, uh, resistible, uh, they, for for those who are elect, things like that, those questions is 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 it, is it resistible for those? I mean, how election played into that? It, it seemed I think there was a little bit of uh, room for for positions to breathe, and so that's where Catholicism is going to go back to and say, yeah, we we actually were original sin. We're Augustinian in that sense. It's original sin. Uh, we can't save ourselves. God grace comes and enables us uh, through the sacraments or through um, uh, 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 with, with, with baptism with children. Uh, and then if you're an adult, it enables you to respond in faith, which is, again, for them, it'd be resistible, uh, which is the same thing for later with Arminius. He's repackaging, again, it, it really, within Augustinian lines, you can only do so many things, or biblical I would say in terms of biblical interpretation, um, which Augustine did well, I think in this, these regards, uh, can only do so many moves. And so Arminius is essentially doing what Rome did earlier before him and uh, is making it so he has all the, the basic doctrines that Augustine would have, but instead um, this, uh, this initial work of grace by the Holy Spirit uh, freeze the will uh, to either choose for or against the gospel. Uh, and, and in that sense, I, I would put, this kind of goes to that initial question, I would put Arminius in the camp of the semi-Augustinian. It would be a more fair assessment because even though um, he still thinks grace is conditioned on our response, he has grace coming before our response. Where Pelagian to the semi-Pelagians of Gaul, right after Pelagius, did not do that. They did it the other way around. They had the will preceding grace, even in the fallen nature. So I think uh, to use proper terminology, I think he would be a semi-Augustinian. However, this is this is gets to the crux of it. Uh, do we have time for me to share just two or three minutes? Yeah, go. This is yeah, the the heart of it. I really think it comes back to anthropology. <laughs> this whole debate, which is often overlooked, is that. The reason why those who are in the Arminian camp and that Roman Catholicism and even maybe semi-Pelagians, I don't know if they even thought through this part of it, I'm assuming it was assumed for them, is that they believe that human nature in creation itself is such that they have, we have libertarian freedom. So this means that we can choose uh, at anything, anything, me grabbing this glass of water next to me or picking up the pen, I am equally disposed to both ways. Uh, in such a way that I'm not inclined one over the other, and that um, I could make a, the, my decision is spontaneous in the moment. Um, 
there's no inclination. Uh, of course, myself and others, like you guys are of the um, traditional biblical camp, just joking, um, of the reformed camp, Calvinist camp. Um, uh, you mean which, we, are, we are of the correct camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just playing games, but yeah, at the end of the day, we're the biblical camp. Um, and that's why it's still, people still debate about it. Okay. I'm not, but I'm not going to mince my words. I do think it's more, it's a biblical position is that we are always inclined that that is the anthropology of scripture that, that God created us such that even in Adam, that we always choose that, which we desire most. And that is explains our decisions and why we can't go ahead. In a, in a similar way to, um, I'll try to be careful how I say this. It, in a similar way to how God chooses with according to his nature, we also choose according to our nature, unless we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to choose a, along a different renewed nature. So it, it, it seems odd to me that like when, when you're talking about um, libertarian free will, you're talking about a will that God himself does not have. In the sense that God doesn't choose things arbitrarily, he al he always acts in accordance to his nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they, they might want to push back and say, well, according to our nature, God, number one, God doesn't have to create our as we're image bearers. We're not like him in every way, in every sense. And number two, he could have created us in such a way that we are uh, equally uh, disposed to make moral decisions. Um, but yeah, I get your point back would be or moral decisions in the sense that we're uh, morality is defined uh, by a human that cannot be inclined one direction over another. Um, but of course, like you're saying is, is, well, morality doesn't need to be defined on those terms of being and, and, and if so, if it is if it is defined as needing to be equally disposed to in to just say for example two decisions um and not being inclined either way to another to make a genuinely moral decision um the oh shoot i lost my train of thought um that's good just oh. just at the end of the day that um i mean obviously the biblical text is is the thing that we should be leaning on for how to determine these things one way or the other but scripture does speak of humans having a, a type of nature. And so whether that is a, a sin nature or one that is given to you by uh, the Holy Spirit in a renewed nature, um, you will make decisions according with, with your natures at, at the end of what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, that, that's what I was going to say is, oh, this is what I was going to get at, is that, well, the, the, the pushback from us in our biblical understanding of scripture, which always talks about humans being inclined everywhere, um, is that how in the world doesn't, does um, libertarian freedom actually work? If you're not, and this was Jonathan Edwards' response in his freedom of the will, uh, and which still is sound in this regard, is how in the world do you ever make a decision if you are truly, truly, entirely, equally disposed one direction or another? If you do choose one direction or another, what made you choose that? Well, you reasoned through it that that was better. And how, how in your reasoning that you chose to do that was better couldn't have been other than that desire which was, give, which was in you. 
Yep. So you're ultimately at the end of the day, you're out, you're going back. You have to fundamentally go back to our position of you're inclined. But yep. uh, let me just say so this: biblically that, and philosophically, yeah. is is consistent basically. So yes, like if if you take this the isn't position, even the point I wanted to get at. Yeah, if you, if you take the position consistently, the the Arminian or the uh, semi-Pelagian or the Pelagian doesn't have a consistent person. So if if all if all choices are arbitrary and they're spontaneous within the moment, then there is, there's nothing to point to to be able to say, I, I have a personality or I have a, uh, I, I am a kind of person, um, which I think is an is a untenable so, position. Yeah, so but, but the, the, the point of this part of this discussion is saying, um, for them, grace, if God gives you grace, it can't give you grace that's going to in, incline you to make a decision or incline you in a certain direction because for them that would actually be going against nature itself from the way in which god created us mm -hmm. um so for the calvinist on the other hand is saying no god actually created us in such a way that we are inclined so when grace renews us of course we're going to be inclined to which that which is good and right um uh and so uh but only in this sense, it's it's a greater grace because this grace is actually, as Gustin says, it's not just an uh, um, a a foregoing grace that enables, but it's actually now in Christ. It's also a a preserving grace that continues to renew us. So it's not like we are like Adam and Eden, where we have this trial uh, where he was given the grace to the grace by which he could continue to not sin. That was the grace that Augustine said Adam had in, in Eden, but but he he did not he was not given the grace that would enable him such that he would prevail. Now that was given to us in Christ. So that's what's the greater part of being in Christ is that we're no longer in this that that, that situation that, that that grace that Adam had that was only a uh, that which was what we call just his natural that natural grace and creation that he was able to serve the Lord, but it didn't ensure that he would uh, through to the end. Whereas in Christ, God has secured our redemption and a renewal of us such that he's not only restored us, but now he's continually working in us. Philippians one and two through three, I think one and two, three, maybe um, that God continues to work in us for our salvation. That and, and this kind of goes back to it is, is so yeah the the, the Armenians are going to say no that's just not our human nature, so grace just makes us back to where we just are again in a state of genuine equilibrium and it continues to um, uh, we continue to employ ourselves implore ourselves in that grace which is why a consistent Armenian would be that we fall away again it's 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 consistent with our nature that grace would be contingent as well and. Um, so I think a lot of it does deal with a couple of interesting points as anthropology is often overlooked on how that plays into their understanding of grace. Um, and, uh, and then uh, obviously the understanding of grace itself, where the, us as in the, the reform camp, we're going to say, no, grace is grace is grace. It's unconditional. It can't have a condition to it. Uh, otherwise it's no longer grace, but it's merit, which is Augustine's huge argument as well. Um, and then it also deals with original sin that, um, is um, uh, the the depravity we say that all of humanity are uh, depraved until God gives you an a particular calling, special uh, effectual calling, and in, in 
which comes about in conversion regeneration. But with with Arminians, it would be, yeah, well, we're all depraved, but because prevenient grace comes, and particularly with Wesleyan Arminianism, is that prevenient grace comes right away, even when you're born. I think, I believe, I could be corrected on this, that, that prevenient grace is already there. So in some sense, you're not actually born into that depravity in which you should, that, that we would say you are. But prevenient grace is always there for all creatures such that they're, they're enabled at any time to respond to the gospel. It's totally different. Um, any thoughts on that? No, man, that was good. Um, I, I, I think it's important to say, I think it's, it's, it's important, I, I think it, to just emphasize that um, I, at the end of the day, this is the, the Calvinist pushback. And I, I think it's, 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 it's where I, I stand and is just saying, um, is, is, or is semi-Augustinianism any different at the end of the day than say a semi-Pelagian or semi-Pelagian? <laughs> we'll go to Pelagius because there's a whole other ball game there. Um, <laughs> you just, anyway, uh, uh, is, is how is everything is ultimately contingent on the human will that grace is no stronger than the will that the person's determination and ultimately election then gets subsumed under human our our human response and all of all of how we read scripture becomes contingent on um the human the human will in fact god's election then begins to be defined by us and that's actually what happened with Jacob Arminius. He was actually more well known for his relationship under Theodore Beza with the doctrines of election, where uh, Arminius came up with uh, a new way of looking at the orders of God's decrees, and all of it centers around human, the human will, responsibility. Yeah. I see, so I think it's just the question is how is it not humanism? How is grace not just just talk? Yeah. Cool. Well, let's wrap it up for today then. That was really good. And we'll continue next time on X Garage talking about Jacob Arminius. See you next time on X Garage. X Garage. X Garage. X -Garage. X -Garage.